Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark. The highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight, and... On the internet, I have Andrew Bowser from the Unfold Podcast. Hello, sir. How are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Thank you so much for doing this. This is honestly quite the honor in in some ways. <laughs> uh, we we met on very interesting circumstances, and I, I appreciate all of that. That quite phenomenal on how, on how we met. But I, we'll, we'll definitely go into that for sure on on yeah. how we initially kind of met each other. Uh, but before that. Let me just finish up this little intro and we'll go ahead and jump sure. right into some questions. We are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife and that's night with a K. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world now back to our guest andrew (laughs) thank you once again honestly this is this is super fucking cool that you've done this so thank you so much um but yeah uh, initially we we met very very oddly uh gosh it it was it was blackout tuesday june 2nd um when we met uh where you honestly did probably the coolest shit ever by posting my podcast on your guys's Instagram and Twitter, which was super awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. Oh, it's um, all good. If you don't mind me asking, how did you, how did you hear about the show? Well, I Google, uh, I Google horror podcasts often mm-hmm. and I, I just go through them. I'm guilty of kind of like podcast jumping and, uh, <laughs> sure. and, you know, like I, 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 I'll live with a podcast for a certain number of episodes. And then for some reason, I'll just want to jump to another. It's not that I am done with that podcast or I'm bored of that podcast. Right. I'm going to go back to it. Yeah. But so I was listening to a specific horror podcast for a while and I was just kind of like ready to take a break. And I literally just Google lists of horror podcasts or best of 2019, 2020 horror podcasts. And I'll just give them each a try. So at some point 
it, I don't even remember what site or what list, but your <laughs> podcast came up and I gave it a listen and that's I enjoyed awesome. it. So I kept listening to it. <laughs> that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah. And I've, I've found a number of podcasts that way. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't through a, a referral. Nobody suggested it. It was just me searching. Sure. And um, yeah. And I also find that by listening to, I listen to some horror podcasts that are conversational. Then I listen to some that are very, uh, almost like professorial. They're very, it's like breakdowns and analytics and, yeah. um, looking at it through a social lens. And, and I like that because that's not always how I think or how I digest things. Sure. And, uh, so I like kind of jumping around. So it was, I think it was a list of some kind. That's awesome. That's really, yeah. really cool. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, that day has, was honestly beyond of what I thought what was going to happen in that day. And I, 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 I was super stoked that people were doing blackout Tuesday in general. And I thought that yeah. was super heartwarming and awesome, uh, for black lives matter. And, um, for the things that were going on in the world with George Floyd. Um, yeah. And th- all of this was just super interesting to see like voices, um, who have the platform, allow themselves to kind of make themselves a little bit more like back in the scenes a little bit and uh, stand back and to kind of exploit these voices a little bit higher, which was awesome. It was so cool. Um, Getting hit up by bloody disgusting. uh, And, and then seeing uh, actually my, my friend, Freddie, uh, who's also a co-host on this podcast. He told me, he was just like, it's like, holy shit. Like, did you see that uh, Jessica Showbot and Andrew Bowser reposted (laughs) our shit? And I was like, what? No, you're you're fucking lying. No way. <laughs> no way. No way. And he showed me and I was like, this is bananas. Like this is awesome. so cool. And it, it and it was really heartwarming. So thank you so much for doing that. Well, really no problem. It. I feel I I've something I've noticed in myself is that I'm guilty of not understanding I'm guilty of not being honest with myself about having a platform. Sure. I think I, 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 uh, I mentally put myself in, in this like, oh, well, yeah. Oh, I have this many followers on Instagram. It doesn't matter. Oh, I, you know, I've got, well, this many YouTube subscribers, uh, but half of them don't care about my stuff or, sure. you know, I kind of do this like, uh, self-deprecating mm-hmm. talk mm-hmm. and, and it's one thing to just do that to myself and, and kind of talk myself down, you know, that could even be seen as healthy to a degree. Sure. But then I realized even uh, in that week specifically, but what it's not healthy for is, is uplifting anyone else and, and um, even just supporting other artists. And I, and I realized, uh, I don't remember the last time I've, I've made a conscious effort to support other voices and support other artists. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I felt rather con- convicted in that sense. I, I, I don't, uh, I think I, I don't look at, at social media uh, in the way that I should. I, I don't think I, I look to utilize it as, 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 uh, as a means of communicating and supporting and, uh, and I should more often, like right, I wouldn't right. even, I I've listened to your podcast and I wouldn't have thought for a second that, that you would care that, that I shared it. <laughs> like I, I wouldn't even think that, that you'd be, uh, that you would be warmed or heartwarmed by that. Sure. So it's encouraging to know that, that it had that effect because, uh, I need to be more proactive in that. I'm fans of artists and I just look at their stuff and then move on right, <laughs> instead right, of being yeah. like, this is some great art. It's, I think people might even assume I'm just not a fan of anything because I don't <laughs> like, 
I don't know. So I've been like thinking about that a lot. And um, yeah, and just trying to be a little more aware of whatever platform I have, whether it be through my podcast or for mm-hmm. my kind of comedy stuff. Sure. Um, yeah. No, that that totally makes sense. Now, it, it's funny that you said like it kind of feels like you're not a fan of anything, but you are a fan of horror, right? Like, oh, so, yeah. so it, it, yeah. it's, it really comes out in your podcast and the way you, you are articulate with uh, certain things. And honestly, like, I, I think it was the episode where you guys were talking about like, um, El Kukui or El Kuko or something like that. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, like how you were referring it, uh, to so many different things. And I was like, this is fucking interesting. Like, this is really nice. cool. Um, but, that's one of my first questions actually is what initially sparked your interest in horror? Yeah. Well, I'm not one of those kids that was introduced to horror at a young age. I have friends that say, well, I watched the exorcist when I was seven years old. That's not, (laughs) that's not me. I grew up scared of all of that stuff. Terrified. (laughs) Um, I didn't want to see, (laughs) Yeah, I did. I didn't want to see horror movies. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't even into scary comic books. Um, if something got a little too intense, I remember being freaked out on a, on a ride at Disney world. Uh, it was the, it was the jungle cruise. And I asked her, my mom asked the, the, the employee ahead of time, does this ride get dark? And they were like, no, it doesn't. But uh, he was like, it's not scary at all. But then at one point in the in the Orlando version, you go into this tunnel and there's these like glowing bat eyes oh, and snakes yeah. hissing sound effects. And I remember, I think I was four and oh, I was man. like, I'm out. I was Done like, deal. get me out. Yeah, where's the ready check button? <laughs> right. Um, and, and I remember being terrified of seeing a commercial on TV for, it might've been Child's Play 2 because the, mm. the main the main boy in that movie is is named Andy and yeah. my name's Andrew. And as a kid, they called me Andy. So I'd see this commercial for Chucky saying, I'm coming to get you, Andy. Oh, and I was like, oh. well, so <laughs> I was terrified and terrified, but I tell you what, what finally got me interested in it, which, which may sound crazy because it's not a horror film per se, but I've got my VHS copy of it right here. It was gremlins too, oh, because yeah. I saw the commercials on TV for it, and I just couldn't imagine not seeing it. Yeah. The, the the creatures, the colors, the adventure, the humor that was kind of already obvious in the promotional material. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I was eight, maybe seven, eight at that time, but I told my parents, I hadn't seen Gremlins 1. I had not seen it, but I told my <laughs> parents, I want to see Gremlins 2. And my dad was like, you sure? I think it's kind of a scary movie. And I was like, I want to see it. We're seeing it in theaters. I, I, I got to see it. <laughs> I got to see it. You're not stopping me. And I remember then I started to get terrified. I, I started to worry I was going to lose it in the theater and not be able to sit through it. And I had nightmares about Gremlins too. I can still oh, remember man. the nightmares I had about it before I saw it. Cause I imagine, you know, it was like, I dreamt up what could be in that film. Yeah. But I stuck to it and I went to see it opening weekend. And I remember being scared, but then I remember being excited. And then I remember laughing and I walked out of that theater. Like this is my jam. And I bought a coloring book, Gremlins 2 coloring book immediately at like the Walden books in the mall (laughs) in, in, in Maryland where I'm from. And then, then it was, I was, I was in at least for anything that had, you know, creatures, monsters, slime, goo. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Gremlins 2 was like the uh, the gateway for me to just start being more comfortable with being scared. Yeah. 
That's yeah, amazing. To this day, that I mean, the 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 sense of humor and the blend of horror with comedy is still it's imprinted on me. Joe Dante is my absolute oh, God, Joe favorite. Dante. Bless his soul. <laughs> Golly. Like, oh my gosh. Like it, it, it's so interesting that you said that because the blend of horror and comedy works so beautifully together. And yeah. it, it's weird because horror surprisingly works well with most genres. Like we, yeah. we, we have horror musicals that are honestly some of the coolest shit I've ever seen. Like I know. God, like Anna and the Apocalypse is a god tier of not only a zombie flick, but it is also a great musical. <laughs> and Reanimator the musical. Did you oh ever get to see that? Oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> I like yeah. Oh my god. It works so well for me. It, it, <laughs> Loved it, it. And it's odd. It is so odd that like yeah. we, we see things that technically shouldn't really go well with horror and it just takes it on a completely different level and not yeah. only that introduces someone else into it like you you, mm -hmm. you do get some really fun um charismatic different types of uh horror when you blend those types of i guess genres together it's yeah. so so interesting you 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 get i remember the first time i actually saw a horror comedy and um that was the weirdest shit ever. It was actually back in 2007, I want to say, and it was Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead just came oh, out. Oh, yeah. And, um, and or maybe it was a little sooner than that. But when Shaun of the Dead came out, I saw it in, I want to say it was like maybe, maybe in eighth grade, something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, Shaun of the Dead probably came out, what, 2005, maybe? Something like that? I don't remember the date, but I think it was around there. Yeah. Um, and I, I even, I have it right here. I don't know why I'm doing it. 2004 is when <laughs> it came out. 2004, okay. 2004. So, um, when that came out, I was so absolutely blown away on how horror and comedy mix so well together. Where I was just like, the zombies are scary in this. Yet, mm -hmm. this movie is probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like, Edgar Wright is a fucking genius. I know. And it it really caught me off guard on how horror can be funny. And I just didn't think that was possible. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I showed, uh, I, I've got a buddy that hasn't seen uh, many horror films. Mm -hmm. And we've been watching movies together on Fridays, like over Zoom. Nice. And we mostly don't watch horror, but I've tried to sneak a few in. And I showed him <laughs> Evil Dead 2 the other Hell week. Hell yeah. Oh, and man. I think because he'd never seen it and because yeah. he didn't know what Sam Raimi's tone was back then, it really was hard for him to digest. He kept trying to at one point he said, well, is this guy just doing a Jim Carrey impression? And I was like, Bruce Campbell? No, Bruce Campbell's no, no. doing Bruce Campbell. Exactly. My guy. Jim Carrey's doing but, Bruce Campbell. Right. <laughs> Jim Carrey's like, doing Bruce Campbell. Like, no way. Exactly. <laughs> And I could tell it was hard for him to like take it in as a whole piece because he he was thinking, all right, well, it's too slapstick to be horror, so get that out of here. <laughs> but oh, when I saw head. it as a <laughs> yeah, when I saw it as a kid, when that especially that scene where everything starts coming to life and yeah. mocking Ash and laughing, I remember feeling so th thrilled by that because I was still scared. I don't want. I don't want those things to be laughing at me. That's still yeah, creepy. Right. But, but there was this like sense of absurdity and there's certain directors that can do that. And, mm -hmm. um, I feel bad for my buddy that wasn't introduced to it when he was young. Cause I feel like now he's having a hard time. The same with Joe Dante. I showed him the howling. Right. Oh, the howling. That, oh gosh. <laughs> that shot in the howling where a werewolf hands a woman a <laughs> file folder. 
And uh, here you go. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, I was waiting for that shot because I thought it would kill. I thought my friends watching it would be like, that's that's awesome. But they were like, what? Are you kidding me? And I was like, what do you mean? Are you kidding me? That's oh, Joe man. Dante. That's like. It's, it's yeah. funny. It's so good. It's funny. And, and, and it's okay that it's funny. It's 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 interesting that you say that because we have a, another co-host named David. And I, I like to yeah. call him our infant horror watcher. Uh, okay. Because he is very new to the horror genre. He mainly stuck with one subgenre, and that was paranormal. I was like his jam. Yeah. He would stick with paranormal. He he loves the exorcist. He, he loves paranormal activity and all that stuff. But the only thing is, is, since he is really into paranormal, he is really into more of the modern take of horror films. And, right. Uh, showing him older horror films have been interesting because I he's never seen the Changeling until uh, I showed it. For I was him gonna for ask. Podcast. I was like, "Have you? Sh- yeah, has he seen and the Changeling? Fuck, blew him away. He was like, "Holy yeah. shit! Like this is awesome!" And I, I would love to show him Carnival Carnival of Souls, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's all of that has been very interesting to see him kind of go back to and frequent himself a little bit to watching. Uh, yeah, because slashers. I mean, seventies slashers honestly for me are the pinnacle of slashers personally uh mm-hmm. because it did kind of take a more serious take on certain things uh, i mean we had halloween we had black christmas we had texas chainsaw massacre it was just beyond amazing of that yeah. type of era and showing him black christmas of 1973 i think that was really interesting to see his take where i was just like this was slashers like this was a part of the boom this yeah. is, was this was technically a part of nightmare on elm street this was a part of friday the 13th even though those came out in the 80s this still was a part of that boom like that was like a 20 year cycle that was phenomenal and it was it just we got obviously the cheesy ones like chopping mall which are still awesome tammy and the <laughs> yeah. t-rex it, it just it, the list goes on sleepaway camp uh tourist trap oh my god uh, yeah castle freak but it, it's Oof. just the list goes on and it did was, it, did it work for him? Your friend? Did he, did he like it or was it kind of loved black Christmas, loved okay. black Christmas. And I wanted to show him what modern slashers initially did with the reboot era of 2000s. Yeah. Uh, so I, I showed them Texas Chainsaw Massacre of 2003 and mm. um, explained to them that, Hey, this film was honestly really important for the 2000s mainly because this researched the slasher boom. Like, without Texas Chainsaw Massacre, sorry to say this, everybody, we probably wouldn't have gotten Scream 4. I'm going to say it now. Like, it was just, it probably wouldn't have happened. And it, because of that boom of slashers and there was a lot of money being made in this and uh, I mean as much as I don't really like the guy Michael Bay uh, he, uh, right. he he did something kind of fantastic for that uh, for that as a whole even though those, those aren't received too well yeah. he still did something really great for that resurgence and uh, we have to applaud him for that but moving on a little bit uh, down the line and I, I know you, you brought up Child's Play and yeah. this Honestly, I, I, you, you introduced your short film to me. Thank you so much. Little Willie. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Oh, Willie. my God. Uh, now, it, let's go into that. Like, what sparked the idea of Little Willie? Like, what, was it Child's Play? I, like, I was, I was trying to get, like, some undertones in there. I know. Yeah. So, yeah. So, for anyone listening that doesn't know, I, uh, I directed a short film this year called Little Willie. And it's about... A child actor who's grown up 
but he's famous for being in a child's play like film. In it. our world, it's called Little Willie. Um, but yes, the comparable in the real world would be child's play. And in his 30s, uh, he's going around to horror conventions to sell autographs and meet fans. And he just starts to have a, a crack in his sanity. And he starts to believe the doll from the movie is talking to him. So it's kind of the, an inverse. I almost this is overstating it because uh, it's not as as it's not as uh, brilliant as New Nightmare, but it's kind of like New Nightmare to Elm Street. It's like uh, it's the meta take on a child's play narrative where yeah. it's actually about the actor from the film now being older and thinking the doll has come to life. That's whereas. The plot of Child's Play would be that this little boy knows for a fact the doll has come to life and nobody believes him. Yeah. So it's like the flip of that, um, purposefully so. Um, and I got the idea because I grew up acting and and auditioned for for films like The Faculty and I, I auditioned for— Holy shit, really? The, the, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. I auditioned for— I auditioned for Rushmore. Oh, I auditioned for Small Soldiers, which was Joe Dante. Yeah. And I, I mean, oh, I wanted that so bad. Oh, I bet. So I'm always investigating the themes of, of feeling like you were going to be something when you were a kid and it yeah. never happened. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, I watched a documentary last year. I don't even know if it was a documentary. It might've just been like YouTube videos, but there were, there were these YouTube videos interviewing Annie's women that had played Annie in the musical yeah, and what it was like now as adults to kind of feel like you peaked when you were eight or nine or 10. So I thought it would be an interesting way into a slasher mentality yeah. of this failed child actor turned slasher because of these, these feelings of failure and this, this, again, this, this crack in his mental state. And I had originally, um, pitched it as a web series somewhere and it didn't go and and then I just decided to kind of rework it and uh, and make it a short. But also, I met the kid. Uh, I, I lived in New York for a while for mm-hmm. college and was still auditioning in in my teens. and And I went on an audition for a Pepsi commercial, and I wound up in the audition being partnered up with uh, the kid who played Andy, wow, um, oh Alex Vincent. <laughs> and, and I I remember walking in there and. And thinking it was him in the waiting room and then yeah. looking at the sign-in sheet and I saw Alex Vincent and I thought, how crazy, this movie that terrified me as a kid. Now I'm at an audition with that actor and we did our little Pepsi commercial audition. Neither of us booked it. But then in the in the elevator uh, on the way down, I said, you know, I just wanted to let you know I'm a big fan. I, I'm a big fan of Child's Play. He's like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks. And I said, what did you do after those films? Did you just go to school? You've just been concentrating on, you know, education. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I mean, after Child's Play, honestly, like things just got too hot and I had to step away. Mm. I was like, OK. Uh, and I didn't ask anything yeah. beyond that. But that always stuck with me. So there, there's uh, it, I think it's also partially inspired by that interaction I had. That's that, awesome. You know, this this kid who was in these big movies to me, they were big movies. Yeah. Now we were kind of on level playing field. We we're both at the same audition. And that gave birth to Little Willie. And I always like the kind of meta. I don't like going too meta, but sure. I mean, I really like 
new nightmare. <laughs> it just, re- it just really worked for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is, honestly, that is a huge attest. Like, I love New Nightmare. It, it, I really I think love it's it. hands down one of the best Freddy Kruegers of yeah. all time. I even think I put Freddy, some uh, shit on, on Twitter where uh, uh, DeAndre... I got my New Nightmare toy right oh here. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that's amazing! <laughs> He's got a head that can swap out from Demon Freddy to regular Freddy. But I cut that you off. What fantastic. were you saying? No worries. No, I, I, I was I was on Twitter and I, I said like uh, the it was like these things that people were posting, like the villain versus the actual villain. Right. Exactly. And I think I put the victim um, and I, I put uh, Nancy as the victim. And then uh, it changed to um uh, Jill, the babysitter of her kid. <laughs> oh, right. And I was like, gosh, she was the actual victim here. Let, let's totally. be real, guys. Let's be real. Um, and I didn't true. know until recently that that was also the kid from from uh, Pet Cemetery. That was Gage. Yeah. I, I yeah. Had who no also? Idea. Who also? Uh, I go to a lot of horror conventions as a fan, and and also as a producer for the different i've worked for a number of kind of nerdy digital companies and nice so I, i'd have to film video packages at horror conventions and uh and that actor uh miko hughes is also someone that i i wouldn't say that the child actors of horror directly inspired little willie because it's, it's heavily based on just my experiences as a child actor sure. but uh, i think peripherally seeing them at conventions and seeing how they've managed to kind of adjust as adults and and kind of have to recontextualize their success to a degree and then come to terms with the fact that, okay, to these people, I am, I am just the kid from New Nightmare or the kid from uh, Pet Cemetery, And I'm okay with that because I know who I am outside of this. Right. And I think in Little Willie and, you know, so I see Miko at conventions and, um, and I think in in Little Willie, the character can't come to terms with who he is outside of this paradigm. He mm-hmm. can only see the lack of success and the fact that people know him for something that he did when he was eight and nine and that he's not known for doing anything as an adult. And yeah. so my character uh, loses his mind. <laughs> but yeah. But whereas Miko is like by you as well, right? Yes, I, I play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which also I do. added another wonderful take to it because it's a pretty one-to-one ratio it's like i'm thinking about how i was a failed child actor so i cast myself as a failed child actor i love it i love it and i i even thought so i was just like i was like man i wonder if like that meta shit is like really 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 in here and i'm just not finding it um because i was even listening to the background where it was like uh uh robert england signing in a112 exactly. and all this other stuff and i was like that's really that's really cool like was that a play on anything in particular like the a112 or anything like that i, I was trying to like think back like i was like well that's not the address of elm street i know like i I was i was just trying to think back no that would have been a great easter egg yeah in the in the short uh for those that haven't seen it because it's only played a couple of like virtual festivals right there yeah there's a chattanooga right chattanooga yeah we we premiered at chattanooga it's all good um awesome yeah it was a great fest and they did a great job with their virtual edition that's amazing Um, i'm so upset that i missed it but yeah Go ahead. Uh, I, and I and I and I was able to watch anything and everything I could that weekend, and I still missed so many yeah. films. They had so many great things programmed. I got through almost all of the shorts they had programmed. That's incredible. And I think I got through like three features. But oh man. Um, but yeah, so we shot the short at a real horror convention, and oh, I sick. wanted to kind of get as much of the environment in there as possible. 
And so we have a, an announcer echoing through the halls, you know, for the, those that are here for the Robert England signing in room A12, go to line up in this hall, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But there's no hidden Easter egg other than the fact that I, I couldn't feature those people on camera, but sure. I wanted to at least imply what the environment really is like at a horror convention. And it really is. I mean, I've been at horror conventions where I go to the bar and Ric Flair is sitting there with Dario Argento what having a martini. <laughs> and then I get in the elevator and Tony Todd is in the elevator going up to his room. Holy I, shit. I, while we were filming Little Willie, uh, at one point we just had the door open to our hotel room and Kane Hodder just ran in. He saw cameras and he ran in and was like, what are you guys filming in here? And kind of <laughs> joked like he was going to trash the set and make a big deal. And we were like, Kane Hodder. And he was like, ah, and then he ran out. <laughs> And it really, I, 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 another year when I was at Texas Frightmare in Dallas, yeah. uh, they, they do Scaryoke, which is mentioned in Little Willie. And it was a, a, the year they had a really big scream reunion and Rose McGowan, oh, David Arquette, wow. Lillard, and I think Skeet were all singing karaoke That's at Scaryoke. Yeah. And so it's like, it's, these conventions are great because, you know, at Comic-Con, Celebrities are really ushered through the back hallways and the tunnels and kept in exclusive areas. But a lot of these horror conventions, people are accessible, you know, and you don't want to bother them when they're not at their booth. Sure. But they're still sitting there having a drink. It's just still fun to think like, oh, well, there's Ted Raimi. Yeah. And I could go and say what's up to him and talk about Wishmaster or whatever. Right. Oh, so, so, yeah, fun. I wanted to just try to make people feel like, it. you know, it's what you get when you go to a horror convention, which is you're really sub- submerged in that culture and every which way you look, there's something you remember from a movie you love. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, uh, kind of going deeper into that, like one, one thing that I found really interesting that I felt like made, um, our protagonist slash antagonist, uh, crack, uh, was the, the points of the toxic fandom that constantly reminded him of his past. (laughs) Um, now going a bit deeper, like, (laughs) <laughs> that I, like I I don't want to spoil too much of this film, sure. th- this short, but the use of sound in this yeah. in this short is probably one of the most incredible things I've seen. Like you 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 would show a spiral of a set to sh- give us a story, but we hear what actually happened transpire but, uh, beforehand. Like what was the yeah. what was the the thought process of wanting to film it that way versus oh, actually showing what happened? There, so it's really cool that you hit on that because there's a very specific story about that. <laughs> and uh and 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 also real quick I'll touch on the toxic fandom yeah, and then I, uh, yeah and then I'll explain that shot because uh, it is interesting. Um that you're right that the toxic fandom is part of what sets the character I play off. And it's this weird paradox and I don't know how to explain it. I know that I've experienced it, but certain personality types, they both want to be known for something. They want to be celebrated. They want to be famous. And then at the same time, they begrudge that success when it comes. And I'm guilty of it. I do a, an, internet character, a comedy character named Weird Satanist Guy or Weird Arby's Guy. <laughs> and videos with that character have have gone viral at different times over the years. Mm-hmm. And he has a few catchphrases, this character. And he he says, I don't know, really quick. He says, I don't know. And then he also says, <laughs> uh, he says, notice me, senpai, is one of the things he says. Notice me, senpai. <laughs> so 
I make these videos. I want them to go viral. I want them to be seen. Right. And at the same time, as a performer or a director or a producer, I don't want to be seen as only one thing. Sure. I, 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 for some, you know, my ego just wants, expects the world to recognize me for this unique multifaceted dimension, (laughs) you know, multidimensional artists with all these intricate layers where the truth is I'm lucky if one thing works for people and one thing is successful. And yet I would deal internally with people coming up to me at Comic-Con or horror conventions saying, I don't know, notice me senpai (laughs) and me being kind of bothered by it. Sure. Like, I'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah, well, I'm that guy, but I'm also a director. And so I, you know, I'm a film. <laughs> and it's just the funniest thing. And and so I don't really, I don't deal with it in Little Willie as much as I just showcase it, that sure. that happens. Right. He's bothered by the fact that people quote the old film to him and we don't really know why. It just reminds him of his youth or maybe reminds him of his failings, but it is a, an odd thing. Right. I don't have much insight into it other than the fact that I'm guilty of it. <laughs> But, uh, but the sequence you're talking about, so there's a scene in Little Willie where he's gone uh, to, he's been invited to go to a hotel room party with a bunch of fans of his. Right. And, and uh, basically in the original script, you see what happens. He goes to this party, he gets really drunk. They all start quoting the film at him. They all start to kind of look like that toxic fan he resents. Yeah. And he uh, loses his cool. And in the original script, we just see that as they're getting closer to him, yelling the quote from the film, he closes his eyes. And then when he opens his eyes, they're gone. So it feels like a little trippy moment huh. of, did he imagine it or what? Now, <sighs> The the real answer of why I shot it the way I wound up shooting it, which I'll explain, is that it was time and budget, just like a lot of decisions. Fair. That scene, even just blocking a scene with uh, that many people being in a party at a hotel room, they're drinking, there's all this dialogue exchanged of them saying, quote the movie for us, and him saying, no, I don't want to. Just that that time was like a night. So oh, wow. we shot that at a real real horror convention. We had... We started on a Friday night, and then we had all day Saturday, a little into Saturday night, early morning Sunday, wrapped by like 5 p.m. on Sunday, and then half a day on Monday. It's just like it busts your schedule. Sure. If if we had that scene in the short, it would have just busted the schedule. And and again, to compare myself to people that are much more talented than me, <laughs> I was watching um, I was watching Blowout, which I'd never oh, wow. seen the De Palma movie. Yeah. With John Travolta, I'd never seen that. That was a blind spot for me. (laughs) So, so good. And one thing I don't think, I have a wonderful sound designer who's always telling me, Bows, you got to think like sonically. When you're writing, think about sound design. What could be sound design versus what could be seen on, on, in the frame? And, and I don't often think that way. I think pretty like straightforward to, to, you know, my detriment sometimes. But I was watching Blowout and there's a scene where they do this, long spin around yeah. the room and in blowout it's amazing because it's about him searching for this missing audio tape right. or erased audio tape but i start i realized you could just start the 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 morning after that party with my character sitting on the couch remembering the party and how it went wrong and oh, i can man. i can get a bunch of actors in a house when we're back in la and just perform the audio of right. a party that went went wrong um, that would take an hour as opposed to filming that entire scene practically and getting all the actual coverage you'd need 
would have taken five, six hours. Fuck. So, so then I, so I just decided to spin the camera around the hotel room, have the hotel room trashed, have us not know exactly what happened, but hear the party kind of reverberating from the night before. And mm. then we see that Adam is sitting there in quite an altered state, but it was, it was just purely because of time and budget and then also watching blowout. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's incredible because that, that scene, it, you really got a sense of uh, brutality out of it where yeah. you're just like, oh shit, like this really happened. And it, it kind of makes you think back to where it, it just makes you think of a book where yeah. you have to imagine what just happened, what just transpired here. And totally. um, I love how you did it because it kind of made it seem like, well, did he actually do anything or, exactly. or did nothing happen? And then we finally see that Okay. All right. Holy shit. He, he yeah, went there. Um, totally. I thought that was absolutely awesome. Now, one last thing that I do have for, for Little Willie. Um, yeah. Now, I, I've always been fascinated with psychological horror. That's one of my favorite subgenres of all time. Yeah. And what made you decide to make this more psychological instead of more paranormal? Because like, yeah. that's always the thin line that's skated between the two. Um, I mean, sure, yeah. you got Ari Aster who does both, and he does both absolutely flawlessly. But totally, like, what what made you what made you kind of skate that thin line? Because uh, you, you you definitely touch on it a little bit when uh, it was finally like our our it was past our climax, but mm-hmm. it, things were starting to wind down a little bit, and we were like, "Holy shit, is Little Willie about to actually fucking come to life?" Totally. And, like, so, like, <laughs> what, what what made you skate that line of psychological versus paranormal? Well, when I first had the idea, uh, just at a conceptual level, I was going to play with that even more. I, the initial idea was, was something that I thought would make a good, like creep show episode or, you know, Tales from the Crypt episode. That's what this felt like. Well, that's great. That's good to hear. That's what this felt like. This felt like a Tales of the Crypt or a creep show, like something that you would see in that, or or maybe even scare uh, scare package. I don't know if you've seen that recently. Totally, yeah, I did. But yeah, like oh man, like wow. uh, I'm glad you feel that way. That was the tone I was hoping to strike. Was kind of that Tales from the Crypt, that pulpy comic book horror. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I, so initially I thought there'd be more of a misdirect. Initially, my idea was this doll would almost seem cursed. Maybe a fan gave it to him yeah. at the convention and maybe she looked a little gothic or a little witchy and, and, and maybe we'd ride that line and it would be a little mysterious for longer. Mm-hmm. And then, and there's still a version. I've written a feature based on the short and in the oh, feature, wow. there is more of of a, of a misdirect. Uh, there is, you kind of live in the space for longer that maybe this is supernatural. And I have a huge interest in going supernatural. I mean, there's a version of it where, uh, where I would write, it's all supernatural. And I'd have fun with that. Yeah. But when I was weighing like the real estate of the short, the, the time that it would take to misdirect, I feel like would just undercut the time it, you'd, you'd have to spend with Adam and feel his psychology yeah. and feel how he was breaking. So I just felt like in, in a feature, I think it could work more congruently with the overall narrative. But in a short, it felt like to try to psych anybody out and to say, maybe this is supernatural, yeah. only to then land it in the psychological. I felt like it would do a disservice to the experience. I thought 
for the short, let's just go in and say, this guy's on the edge. Let's watch him go over the edge. I, 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 I still, I still, I'm glad that you felt like toward the end though, there's still the question of whether or not little Willie's real, because that was the point of that scene. I mean, yeah. in the end, he's convinced he's real. Right. So there's a moment where you think, well, if you, if you want to believe this guy's not completely bonkers, maybe you are about <laughs> to see the doll jump around. Yeah. Um, but for me as, as the writer, I just wanted to investigate the psychological side um, because it felt like that would serve the story better for that amount of time. Sure. Again, in the future, we have more fun with what is happening with this doll. Right. And could it be supernatural? Oh, man. Um, I love it. It, it, yeah. it, it kind of reminds me of how like Lights Out got started in a way uh, mm-hmm. where we had that short and it was kind of hard to tell if it was supernatural or not. And it was exactly, more mysterious. Yeah. And then we actually got the feature of Lights Out and it was very supernatural and it works mm-hmm. great. Like, obviously, I'm a huge fan of Lights Out and I, I think Lights Out's actually a really smart horror film. But um, when it comes to what you did with Little Willie and initially trying to see how people are going to react like other characters and things like that react to um, him officially kind of coming out of his shell in a way where he thinks he's fine. Like, like he actually thinks little Willie's real. Um, And I love it. Like, I I absolutely love it. And and, and when he put him, when, when, when (laughs) his name's Adam, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. When he puts, when he puts little Willie on his chest, and he's chasing mm-hmm. her down the hallway. Wow! I was just yeah. like, I was like, I would be stoked if it ended here, and then it ended. I was like, oh fuck yeah! <laughs> like that was awesome. Like oh, that's shit, great. I loved it. Yeah, so I, I, love, I had so much fun with Little Willie. Oh, I appreciate man. it. I love things where, uh, like, my favorite monster movie is Pumpkinhead. And oh I hell love yeah! The like the blending. I love the symbiotic relationship of. I've raised this demon, but now it's taking control of me. I thought I was in control of it. And, uh, and you know, at the end of Pumpkinhead, it starts to look like Lance Henriksen right. and vice versa. And so I always knew with Willie, I wanted Adam also a- as a performer. He, because if you remember in Child's Play, the little boy dresses like Chucky. He's got yep. his own got good his own guy outfit in the beginning. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, maybe Adam has an outfit that is what the doll wears, and he wears it as an adult, I like to sign it. photos. I love it. And it's kind of sad because now he's, you know, a little overweight and he's 35. But <laughs> but so, and I, then I knew, but by the end, I wanted it to be a complete kind of blend, and he's wearing the doll like a baby Bjorn. And, and I remember uh, specifically, I wanted Adam to take his little hat and put it on his own head. <laughs> so and good. I realized like as we were filming, my producer and my DP didn't necessarily know visually what my plans were. Sure. So I sit down and they see me in the getup and they're like, right, okay. Because it's one thing to read it on the page that he straps the doll to his chest. But then I'm sitting down there and I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I I put the hat, a little tiny hat on my head. And they were like, both of them were like, wait, what? And I was like, well, he's going to wear the tiny doll hat. Yeah. (laughs) And and they were I like, am little Willie. <laughs> right. And they were both like, well, no, no. And I said, what are you talking about? He's got to go full Willie. He's got to put his little tiny crown hat on. And they were both like, I don't know, Baz, that may be too far. But I was like, <laughs> no, dude, it's, we're gone. We're already in the absurd zone. Yeah. So, and I, I love him putting on the tiny little hat. I, I love like, that. I, I love that take. I, I think it was, up. it was a really, really, really fun 
idea to kind of add to the whole the whole yeah. mystery of it all too. Um, yeah. and I kudos on the dream sequence as well, by the way, I, I, Oh, thank you. Oh my God. Just, I thought that was a chef kiss moment for me. I was like, this is fun. This is just, this is reminding me of nightmare on Elm street. It is yeah. like the, 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 the stomach scene. So fun. I, I had an absolute blast with that. Um, yeah. but I, I, I do want to ask, um, when will this short initially be available for the public, uh, to see and also, when it is available for the public, do you see yourself creating a full-length feature? Yeah. Well, so as far as when the short will be available, that's something I've got to figure out. Okay. Because I feel like I always uh, – I'll make something and I'll say, well, this is just going straight to YouTube. I'm going to put this on YouTube. And then uh, it may not do that well on YouTube. And I'll be like, right. okay, never mind. Next time I make a short – I'm going festivals. I'm going festivals. Yeah. And so with Little Willie, I said, I'm not going to put it on the internet. I'm going to do festivals. Yeah. But then obviously, you know, this pandemic occurred and a lot of the festivals were pushed. Sure. So now I'm kind of back to like, well, how long should I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm ever chasing kind of the currency of the industry yeah. because someone in the industry will say, no, rack up festival laurels on the poster, then everyone in the industry will care about it more. But then somebody else will tell me, dude, get views, put this up online. (laughs) As long as it has views, then people will care about it. I'm like, okay. So I feel like I'm chasing an ever moving target. I don't know what to do with the short yet, but I know that, yes, my goal is, is to make the feature. When, when we were shooting Adrian Barbeau, who plays herself or a version of herself in the film, she told me off camera, she said, you know, I've been in shorts before where the director said, this is a proof of concept for a feature. And I've asked them, have you written the feature yet? And they said, not yet, but I'm going to. And then they've written the feature or tried to and realized there wasn't enough of a story there. Oh, wow. So she was like, make sure when you write this little Willie feature that you really know what you're trying to say and what story you have to tell. Yeah. You may run out of track. And right. I was like, I took that to heart. Yeah. But when I sat down to write the feature, I discovered so many fun things. Like I just, uh, I, I love the script so much. It brings in, <laughs> and there's a proper protagonist. Like That's the short doesn't even have the protagonist. The, right. the, the feature has this wonderful horror fan who's there at the convention because she works, she works for the convention. She's a volunteer, but she's a huge little Willie fan. And she's tasked with being like kind of his guide, his rep for the weekend for, from the, the convention side. Yeah. So she's got to be with Adam the whole weekend as he loses his mind. And she's a super fan that's kind of witnessing him go over the edge. Yeah. And when she starts to tell people what she thinks is happening is happening, no one believes her. And, you know, she's got to kind of try to stop Adam before things get too grisly. But basically, yes, I want to I wanna make the feature. I feel like there's some, so many cool ideas in it. Yeah. And it's meta, but it's still really grounded and purposeful. And it's got a really cool hero, a really cool lead. And I and I think it it really depends on what I do with the short. Like I have to play that right to get the feature. So whether that's more festivals or whether that's a, trying to push as many people to watch it online, right. I want to make sure I play that right because I think the exposure for the short will be what leads to the feature. Well, you definitely ultimately. got me as a backer, man, because <laughs> I appreciate I, it. Uh, you got the nightlight seal of approval on this because I, love I, it. I am so, so excited. Um, I, and I don't, I don't know if too many people at, at uh, BD saw it yet, but um, I mean, I, I would love for like 
Brad and John to all check this shit out because I think it's totally one of the coolest fucking things. I, think I it's appreciate. So yeah, fun. I don't. I don't know if they've seen it yet or not either. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not that'd too be sure. Awesome I, for them to. I know Brad's having a kid soon, and probably when this episode's released, his kids his kids probably going to be born. Um, my, I'm having a yeah. kid soon too, so it's just. Oh my gosh! Yeah, congratulations! So thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, so like it's, it's, a lot is going on right now in my life. Yeah, but um. Switching gears a little bit, I, I, yeah. I want I want people to learn a little bit more about um, the Untold podcast. I, th- that is such a really fun concept with you and Jessica Chauvin, and and I th- I think it it is it is so interesting. Uh, it, for for first thing I would have to say about that is that you guys probably have one of the best looking logos I've ever seen for a podcast. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> it. It is so I love- good. Oh shit! The Scooby Doo thing. I, I was yeah. so digging it. Oh man, I love getting art done. That's my favorite. I feel like sometimes I just come up with ideas so that I can commission art. Yeah, I mean, I commissioned art, concept art for Little Willie before I'd even written the script. I love it. I, was, I love it's it. It's just because it gives you something to pin it on. You can yeah. see it. I'm such a visual person. So even with the Untold Hour, same thing. Because we had done a podcast for me and Jess Chobot have done a podcast for years called Bizarre States. Oh, shit. That's right. Oh, man. I forgot about that. Well, yeah, it it, it ended. It it had been ended for almost a a year or more, though, before we launched Untold Hour. And we did Bizarre States. And it was such a bonding experience. We realized we both loved, we called it spooky shit. We we originally <laughs> called the podcast spooky shit. And then it became too hard to search for it on sure. iTunes. So we changed it to Bizarre States. We did that for about five years. We even did like a video field show, like where we were out ghost hunting. And oh, wow. um, yeah, we did like some fun branded stuff for video game companies. They like sent us to look for Mothman and, what? It was just such a wonderful experience. Yeah, we got to do some really fun stuff That's as Bizarre awesome. States. Oh man! And then, and then when that ended, we uh, we always knew we'd relaunch as something else. Sure. But it just took time, and by the time we we finally relaunched, it had been about a year. And uh, but it really is the same show. It's just it just covers everything bizarre and in fact we tried to think of a name that could still have the word bizarre in it we were like bizarre tales bizarre findings but almost every title with bizarre already existed sure. in the podcast world so we settled on the untold hour I we actually it. went to a a shop that we love in burbank called the mystic museum and uh just looked at different items and books and talismans they had for sale and tried to find inspiration and something we saw said untold and then we thought, oh, the untold hour. Okay. And uh, that's so, so rad. yeah, so we've been doing that for about, I want to say three or four months now. And it's going great. It's just a landing page for everything weird. We, we talk about ghosts, we talk about UFOs and demonology. And, <laughs> and we also just tell bizarre story, bizarre crimes, you know, right. uh, and, and weird personal stories. Um, it, it's kind of our podcast to just go wherever we want yeah. to go. And it's fun. Um, it's so yeah. much fun. And I, I, it's, it's, I look forward to it every week. It's a really great time. I remember, uh, kind of looking you guys up a little bit. Cause I was, I was super excited for the podcast to initially launch. Cause I remember when you guys announced it and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. and it's crazy how the world works where it's just like, it's like, man, like I've been a fan of these two and now they listen to my shit. Like that's so, oh, <laughs> it's, totally. it's crazy how the world works. But, um, 
when you two were creating the untold hour and um i just was like first of all that's a great name and secondly like when it came down to paranormal stuff like what what made you guys want to stick with paranormal like because it, it reminds me especially with bizarre states because bizarre states was super fun um and it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the uh uh Gosh, last podcast on the left. Totally. A lot more, I guess, uh, a lot more tamed uh, in a way. Yeah, it's, it's not <laughs> as much of like a party vibe. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, I mean, Kissel and, and all those guys, like, they're, they're a blast. Um, but definitely, like, they, they say some pretty obscene shit. But uh, For sure. <laughs> it, it's... It, what what kind of made you guys go that route? Like, what... what and, and granted, you guys don't have crazy long episodes. I think your longest episode is like an hour and 40 minutes or something like that. Totally. But uh, what made you guys want to stick with the paranormal route? I think it's because we felt like we were just getting somewhere with Bizarre States where we were getting to explore the things we'd really wanted to explore. Yeah. Um, it, we were finally getting to like go out in the field and do proper oh, paranormal investigations. And yeah, and, and, and we had just, right before Bizarre States ended, we had just done some field show episodes where we'd gotten to speak to a shaman and he had done a ritual over us and and it was really what? exciting and and insightful stuff yeah we had this a shaman um basically i mean read our mail it was like prophecy the way he was telling us it was that's crazy nuts. that's he awesome. told us yeah, we, we, we're not skeptics. Jess and I are both very, very up for believing in everything. <laughs> so we didn't, it's not that we went into that experience skeptical, but I don't know. We, we were, you know, we were somewhere in East LA in the back of this shop and the ritual involved him you know, drinking rum and spitting it out on the floor and, uh, and smoking a cigar and then eating part of the cigar. And prior to us getting there, he had done a, proper sacrifice with a chicken in the backpack room. Oh, and, fuck. This is like yeah. legit shaman. Legit. Oh, shit. And uh, and uh, so I wouldn't say we were skeptical, but we were just like, okay, we don't know how we'll be able to tell if this is hitting in a real way because yeah. it, it's it's hard not to just assume something is theater. Sure. But, but when he turned to us and started giving us – he was basically giving us advice or, or, you know, uh, just as you would seek, uh, guidance from a fortune teller, he was just telling, I mean, man, he laid into me in a way where I felt so exposed and vulnerable. Oh my God. He said, I mean, I'll tell you what the first sentence he said, which anyone that knows me could assume this, but he didn't know me. Yeah. He looked at me and he said, and he was speaking in Spanish, but his translator was sitting right next to me, but he looked at me and he said, you always in your head, always in your head. You keep tripping over the same thing over and over and over again. And your feet are never on the ground. Wow. And I was like, Oh, I mean, wow. I had just that day been complaining to Jess about something. And she said, you're always complaining about the same thing, Bows. You know, like <laughs> there's just the, the language of it was, and I couldn't that tell you the amount insane. of, the amount of times, if there's one I mean, I, I remember uh, one of my close friends in high school said to me, you're in your head too much, dude. And that's just, that's like a running theme in my life. And I, this guy met me for two minutes and then started saying that. But so I think it was that's experiences bonkers. like that. Oh yeah. And then he, and then he, and then he really said some powerful stuff to Jess too. 
But uh, it was it's experiences like that that really bonded me and Jess in a way that made us want to continue to seek out those experiences. And we talked about, well, what if when we reboot the podcast, it it just focuses on this area Mm -hmm. or bows? What if it focused more on your, you know, interest in horror films or whatever? But we just we just wanted to continue down the path that we kind of started forging and and uh, we and we and we're curious about all of it. We're curious about cryptids. We're curious about, uh, demons and we're curious about ghosts. So it, we, it was better for us to just keep it as like a catch all for the paranormal because totally that's our interest scope for it. Totally. Which makes total sense. And, um, is, is Jess also into like horror films and things like that as much? Not as much. Okay. Okay. I I, I didn't think so. Yeah, when I give her, you know, every once in a while she'll say, well, tell me if there's anything you've seen recently that's worth watching. But I'll watch every horror film, yeah, even if it's bad or, yeah, <laughs> if I, even if I know, oh, I'm not going to like this or it won't be up my alley. I'm yeah. still going to watch it because right. I want to know what's happening in the genre. I also, I, I don't judge, I don't, I rarely do I say I liked a movie or I didn't like a movie. I say, well, here's what I liked about it. Here's yeah. what I didn't like. Right. You know, everything is, I see it all as pieces. There's things that worked. There's things that didn't. Um, And, and I, I I tell her about the ones I really, really love, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't like watching horror films as much. We'll mostly talk. I'll recommend like true crime stuff. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Or like I recommended that cursed films uh, series on shutter. Hell yeah. (laughs) Cause I thought she'd like, like, she might, she may not like, uh, she may not want to watch an entire documentary on Poltergeist, but she sure. may want to watch a series that kind of quickly moves through right. the lore around some of those films. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Now, I, I got to ask, just to, to take things back to uh, the realm of horror movies and things like yeah. that, Like I got to ask, uh, uh, what would you consider your favorite? Maybe you could do a top five, because I know this is a very hard question. What would you consider your favorite horror films? Okay. Number one... Uh, I'm looking around my room because I have a bunch of VHS tapes, although these are not my, these are kind of the VHS tapes I've, I've wound up with. I used to have a much bigger collection. Yeah. This has been whittled, whittled down. Number one would be Pumpkinhead. Hell yeah. Uh, because I, I, I put that movie on and leave it on, uh, on a loop. That's I amazing. Love, <laughs> I love the visuals. I love the, the atmosphere, the mood. I really like how small the story is, how cyclical the story is. Um, and I love creatures. And I just think with Stan Winston directing it, it, it the creature is shot in a way that yeah. only a creature effects person could do. So I just, I love Pumpkinhead, and Lance <laughs> Henriksen is one of my favorites. Um, I mean, then I would have to go with, even though it's so funny, I'd have to go with like gremlins, gremlins Two combo. Um, because I love I ju- just the mania of them and how one thing leads to another. And before you know it, it there's just this mayhem <laughs> and, and, and I love that the antagonists are having fun Yeah, and, and then, uh, you know, and then, uh, the, the protagonists are having to like navigate through these <laughs> maniacs <laughs> and, uh, just the, that push and pull love of like it. how silly and how excited the gremlins are compared to how beleaguered the heroes are. I just get a kick out of that. Um, and then let me see. I mean, my gosh, I love nightmare three dream warriors. Oh. 
Um, the, that's another. That's definitely for me. It's new nightmare than than three for sure. Yeah, like, I love Dream Warriors so much, and it's just yeah. Gosh, it's just so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. And then you get the official death of Nancy, which is also great too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And uh, I think I think Nightmare Three is the perfect blend of. It. I know it starts to get pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, even in three, but. It hasn't gone fully off the rails, and I think the tone it struck was a really good balance of uh, amazing set pieces, yeah. comedic Freddy, but he was still a menace. Yeah. Um, so I love Nightmare 3. Some of these choices are just so predictable because I'm such an 80s kid. <laughs> um, I'm just – I'm such an 80s kid. I love that you're choosing um, all 80s. Now, you're the first guest who's, who's so far has gone all I, full 80. I'm trying to get out of the 80s, but literally as I'm, as I'm looking at everything, I mean, it's just all 80s. Um, and then I've already mentioned it, but Evil Dead 2. Yeah, the, the, fair enough. Just the fact that so much of the movie is just just Bruce Campbell yeah. and watching him be tortured. And, and again, I'm a fan of uh, just like one thing leading to another. And it just doesn't stop. I mean, it starts right off the bat and then one thing leads to another. And before you know it, you're pushed into just an absurd place, but you're buying it because you've kind of seen every step. Um, I mean, even it's pretty early on in that movie where where, when there's a stop motion, headless, (laughs) naked woman dancing in the woods and because of the kind of mood they've cultivated, you're like, yep. And then that's happened. And it's crazy, yeah, but I, it's happening. I believe it. The, the Necrocomicon. I, I, I could definitely yeah. see this happening. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other reason why I love it is I, it has such fun with the mythology. Oh, it, yeah. It, the mythos behind Evil Dead is yeah. just beautiful, really beautifully done. Are, are you a yeah. fan of the remake at all? So this is a perfect example of of what uh, of me either not liking or disliking something, but oh, basically right, sure. seeing, seeing the parts of it. Because there's stuff in that film – uh, that I love. Yeah. I mean, it's I love uh, Jane Levy. The, she, I who, want her to come back to horror so bad. I know. Oh my she, gosh! That to me was the takeaway of that film. Yeah. I love her. I love Lou Taylor Pucci. Oh, fantastic! They were, oh my gosh! They were in the right zone. I feel like they were in the right zone tonally. And then the the boss battle at the end, I'll rewatch. Like I'll so just cool. rewatch the finale of the, of the of the Evil Dead remake of the Fetty Alvarez Evil Dead. Um, but one thing, and I've been thinking about this since they announced, you know, yet an, another entry into Evil Dead. Yeah, because Evil Dead Four is supposed to come out, right, or something like that. Right, right. I and I got to work with Bruce Campbell, by the way, which oh, is a great story. Oh my fucking but, god, I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what I wonder is if you take the Raimi sensibility and the Campbell sensibility out of Evil Dead, what's there? And yeah. I'm not saying there's nothing there. Right. I'm just saying I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Where's the identity he, here? Right. Yeah. You know, okay, demons, Kandarian demons, the possession. You know, but we get that with a lot of other properties. Yeah. So for me, taking that DNA out of the Evil Dead as a franchise, I just don't know what's there. Yeah. Um, not, I'm not saying there can't be something amazing there. Right. There might be, but even just rewatching evil dead two recently, I'm like, man, this, I mean, the closest you get is, is drag me to hell. I feel like right. that energy and that comedy what a fun movie. Oh, my love gosh. that movie. Oh my gosh. Um, 
So I so if, if it's not Raimi and if it's not Campbell, I just wonder if it will be Evil Dead or if it'll just be another demon possession right. um, movie. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I got a lot, I got to direct him in a in a funnier die branded video for that's his awesome. show. Oh, that's and incredible. he just I had a great experience. People had said, "Hey, man, he's kind of tough." You know, he's he's old school. They put me. They kind of warned me that it was maybe going to be a hard gig sure. directing him, but it was not. He was awesome. I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. Nothing but nice to me. Wanted to make sure there wasn't going to be any BS. You know, right. he wanted to know how the day was going to be run, when he was getting hit with blood, how he was getting cleaned off. Yeah. But but once me and my producer ran him through the day and he felt like he could trust us, then he was in our corner. It was fantastic. I love it. That's incredible. But I don't know if I named five. But no, you got one more. I, you got one more. I mean, I, then I'd have to say, and I know this is obvious, but I'd have to say the thing. Ah, um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. All 80s. Yeah, all you, 80s. You, you except, did it. You know, <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's true because Drag Me to Hell wasn't part of the top five. Yeah. That was just an, <laughs> It is all ladies. Uh, but yeah, the thing I, uh, again, just knowing how to shoot creatures. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Wow. Then boy, do they do it right. Uh, we're, we're actually yeah. going to be covering uh, the thing really soon. I won't be on that episode, but um, cause I'll be t- taking care of a baby, but uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll be uh, covering that episode, which I'm, Super duper excited for uh, Freddie and awesome. David to just go ahead and just run buck to wild with it. that. And it's just going to yeah. be a lot of fun in general. Um, so, I gotta ask now. I, I know you are quite the horror fan. You you watch pretty much any type of horror film that's kind of thrown your way. I'm the same way. Most of the horror fans that I've spoken to so far are. What would you consider to be your fuck that horror movie? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just not into You're it. Just like nope, no, nah, I'm good. Like this is this is kind of where the line draws. And even if you still watch it. Yeah, which is fine because I I do the same thing. I'm not the biggest fan of revenge movies because they have to deal with rape and rape is really hard for me to just sit with and and kind of be okay with. But I love the end result of the revenge part. I I really enjoy the the, the being able to get your revenge back on that person part. But like I spit on your grave, for example, really hard movie for me to watch. Totally. (laughs) I know. I know. Well, I'll tell you what it is. And and I feel bad saying this because uh, the dude is 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 talented but i can't get i tr- well this is twofold i in a way i will defend rob zombies halloween 1 and 2 oh wow uh, and i, I, and I don't a know why statement there Andrew. i know but <laughs> but i have found myself i mean when i saw those movies i was like fuck that they're not they're they're not they're not for me but it's weird then as time goes on, I've found myself defending aspects of them. Yeah. And uh, and maybe feeling like they are brutal. And, and maybe I defend them because I I, I mean I, I don't I don't consider myself to be a contrarian, but when I hear how heaped on they are as far as the criticism, yeah. then I get a little like, well, let's let's talk about what he did do that was kind of interesting. Right. And also what like what else could he do really i mean he was given that property he was known for his aesthetic and his style yeah he did what he was hired to do right really at least with the first one so i'm not saying you can't dislike it you can but i so i'm a little bit of of an apologist when it comes to zombies halloween one and two but 
everything else he's done is like a big fuck that for me. Really? I just, like I just no can't Temple's get... Rejects? This is House of a Thousand Corpses? I've, nothing I've watched them all. House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, 31. I watched Three from Hell. Lords of Salem, you know, I can I, I can get, get a little people... bit more of the psychological factor. That was yeah. very different for him. Yeah, but I'm just, um, I'm ultimately just not pulled to to respecting the works as a, as a whole. I can sure. respect what they've achieved visually and aesthetically. And I do think it's important for a horror filmmaker to have a defined aesthetic. But I, I just think at some point it started to feel repetitive for me That's or redundant. completely fair. Uh, yeah. That's completely um, Especially, and it's hard mainly because he does utilize his wife quite frequently in his films. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. Like, like the, the, it's totally fine. But it, it does make it a little hard to kind of disassociate it as a separate movie, like with 31 or Lords of Salem, where you're just like, well, yeah. is this a Double Rejects tie-in? Like, right, like, they all almost <laughs> feel like one long yeah. movie. Feel. <laughs> so I know. It, it's super interesting. Um, even though I, I do enjoy Lords of Salem just because I... Yeah, find it interesting that he took a more psychological step to it. Um, yeah, and I, I actually really like Sherry Moon a lot. I, I really, yeah. I really like Sherry Moon Zombie um, as an actress. I think she's uh, very quirky, um, and I would love to see her in, in different stuff. But yeah, um, it, it makes it interesting because I'm, I'm a Mike Flanagan is one of my favorite directors of all time, right? And I love, love, love Mike Flanagan, and I want people to start not just taking this movie seriously because i feel like people are um yeah i want people to like start considering him like this dude is on the path of being a horror great like he's on the path of being a carpenter he's on the path of being a craven like he and that's to me personally and i i have high regards for for jordan peele and there's friends of mine who are just like he's one of the greats i was like but he made two movies like, like <laughs> yeah, you, you, I, I feel like that's not fair. You can't say that he's one of the greats when he's only made two movies. And to me personally, one of those movies were was tremendously better than the other. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, when it comes to Mike Flanagan, who also uses his wife very frequently, yeah, uh, in in most of his stuff, uh, Kate Siegel, uh, she is so versatile that it makes it even more interesting. Like when you see her in hush and then transition into the haunting of Hill house. Wow. Like you, yeah, she's great. Like, holy shit. I, I, I'm watching, I'm rewatching hush right now. Um, and actually the hush episode is, is out before this, uh, is, um, being recorded, but, or well, before this is out. But, uh, when I was rewatching hush, I was just like thinking back to her in haunting of Hill house and was just, blown away as like like wow she really is nailing this whole thing of and and on top of that so was mike with uh being able to show like okay these are the accessibility needs that a, a person with hard hearing um needs uh this is what uh certain pieces of the aspect of telling us very blatantly like she cannot talk her vocal cords are gone like it's it's all those types of things where it's just like, um, because I, I was actually watching this with my uncle um, earlier today, and he was like, "Why is she? Why isn't she screaming?" And I was like, "She, she suffered from meningitis." But, yeah. And he was like, "Shit! All right. Well, this this guy just thought of it all." Like I was like, "He really did. <laughs> like, he right. really did. Like it's just she." And the fact that you get that beautiful Easter egg in there that not too many people notice, where 
the Easter egg was Midnight Mass, which he's making into a full length fucking movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Holy totally. shit. Like it's just it's things like that that makes me really like him as a director and the fact that he is also very versatile and he's not afraid of having a low budget or a no money budget. And I love that about him. Like Flanagan just he really just surprises me. And I think that's one of the things that people that's why I don't even judge I well, I just did, but I try not to judge zombie so harshly because we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. You know, right. like my initial instinct is isn't making three from from hell kind of a step backwards? Because wasn't he kind of growing in size and yeah. scope, and his ideas were getting more complex? He, he and now he technically back- killed him. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> and um, and and we don't know when a director is only able to access a much smaller budget, so they right. make something that is one location or a smaller yeah. cast. And I, I try to keep that in mind before I'm ever too critical because. It's, I, I know as a filmmaker, so many decisions are made because of budget yeah. and time and resources. Right. And I mean, there's things I know in the moment I say out loud, this is going to bother me in the edit and we can't think of a better solve. Let's just go with this. Yeah. And and then it's in the edit. I mean, there's some times where and I, I think I think people that uh, maybe are at more of a distance to the filmmaking process, they think everybody had the option of making it perfectly and they chose not to do it perfectly and therefore they're dumb people and they're bad artists and you know maybe some people are making the bad decisions but a lot of times it's it's circumstance and it's and it's a trade it's well like i could either put out this little this huge fire and let this little fire burn uh you know or let the whole movie burn down and so there's errors or there's things that could have been better so i try to remember that and and even with zombie because i feel like in a way, he's kind of just uh, trying to keep con- making something that has his voice in it. Yeah. And and if that's what's most important to him, then I guess he's doing it. Right. Which yeah. makes sense. Makes total sense. Yeah. Now, before before I let you go, there's one last question I have to ask all of my guests. And it's the ultimate yeah. question that we're trying to do here over at Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. But why horror? I think for me, it deals with it deals with issues the way I feel them most, yeah. which may sound insane. No, but that, but that, that I, makes sense. <laughs> you know, as a kid, as a kid, if I felt angry, I drew something bloody or yeah. violent. Uh, as as a, if I if I felt pain, it it looked like it was visceral. You know, right. it was. Uh, I, I like I said before, I think visually and I kind of feel visually and, and maybe even to a theatrical degree. So uh, for me, horror is the genre that deals with things in a way that I, I think is most genuine. Um, wow, and and it goes that. it goes to extremes, but I think that's uh, in essence illuminating things to be as extreme as they really are at their root. Yeah. And and so I, I I just think it's it's horror that can that can do that. Absolutely. I think it's horror that can deal with fear and the way that we truly interact with fear and uh, pain and every other emotion we feel. I find it most illuminated and represented in the horror genre. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it, the thing that makes this genre so beautiful is what we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, where you, there's so many subgenres that you can dive into when it comes to horror, mm-hmm. but there, there is something in horror for everyone. 
for example, my wife, she's not a fan of horror movies, but um, she really loves paranormal and mm-hmm. she actually really enjoys child um, horror where <laughs> it, like things like Coraline, Beetlejuice um, and all that totally. stuff. And she really, really loves that stuff, which uh, is awesome because to me, that is gateway horror. Like that is, that is the horror that initially are going to tell our young our younglings like hey like yeah it's okay to feel this way it's okay to have those thoughts like it is okay to to be a little different like it, it's mm-hmm. it's nothing wrong with that and um as you see that people have made lots of money by being different and that's mm-hmm. that's the beauty like and to me personally that's something that i really really find attractive when it comes yeah. to horror and i I it, it's a very weird question. I understand, and it's one of those things where it's like, well, it's because I like it. Like that's why horror. But <laughs> it, it's also deeper than that. Like us as being horror fans, and you being um, not only a screenwriter and a director, but also having an uh, a fascination with the cult and the paranormal mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Like that all kind of spawns from this really interesting place that horror films have done to all of us as horror fans Mm -hmm. and it's quite beautiful and uh even even over at like shutter the things that they're doing and uh even the clothing brands like fright rags and cavity collars and uh, like it's just so beautiful even creepy company like it's it's just so beautiful the type of stuff that they are doing for horror fans where it's just like wear your heart on your sleeve, like show this shit with pride. Like it's, it's Mm -hmm. something that a lot of people aren't into, but if you find that one person that is into it, like you probably have sparked an immediate friendship and just like you and you and myself, like, like I felt so comfortable to talk to you, even though I've looked up to you for years, I've, I've felt so comfortable right off the bat when you, when you posted that, I felt very comfortable reaching out to you at that point. And that was something that, wouldn't have happened if it weren't for horror films. And yeah, that, so I got to give a lot to horror films. And honestly, horror is, it's just the best genre. It's just so much I you agree. can do with it. It's just, it's so much fun. Like I, I have fun even watching bad horror films. I find something fun in it. And it's just, yep. oh man, what, 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 what a time agree. To, to be a horror fan. Cause we, we are getting some really interesting takes on horror right now and i've always yeah, hated are. the term elevated horror like that term is so disgusting to me and i've i spoke to michelle swope uh uh, or, uh excuse me not swope excuse me um uh, oh yeah swope <laughs> but i spoke to michelle and, and she was telling me like like how much that term just initially irked her and mm-hmm. really got under her skin and uh, I agreed with her like that, that terminology just really feels so wrong and icky, mainly based off the fact that horror has always been smart. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. we could go back to 1890 where we're getting Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and that's like the mm-hmm. first sci-fi. Like horror has always been really smart and groundbreaking and it saves Hollywood's ass multiple times. Like we do uh, the totally. exorcist silence of the lambs jaws being initially one of the best blockbusters like it, it, it yeah. saved hollywood so many times yet hollywood doesn't like to recognize it and that that's mm-hmm. very unfortunate because it's it has a really fun fan base and i feel like this fan base is 
uh, uh, probably one of the nicest fan base I've ever been a part of. I, I, I'm slightly into the gaming industry, uh, very slightly, not not too too deep, um, but it it gets nasty. And I'm just like, wow, like right. it is nasty over here. And and uh, even film Twitter is also really nasty. Like it, it's just yeah. people are are fucking mean. And horror Twitter has always just been so wonderful and kind. And mm-hmm. I don't understand what it is. And even when the incidents of the sexual allegations and things like that happened uh, a few weeks back uh, with Cinestate uh, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth, um, the horror community broke for like a day. And mm-hmm. we all as horror fans kind of came together to to reach out to all of those people from Fangoria Podcast Network. And that was that was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen where people are just like, yo, we are here for you. Like, we understand. Like, we take the time you need. We do not need these episodes right now. Focus on what makes you guys great and rebuild. And that was so cool to see. Uh, And shout out to all all of my friends over uh, at Shockwaves. I know you guys are going through a tough time right now. Uh, Rebecca McKendry, I I understand, like, all the stuff that's going on over there right now. And and please just take the time you need to just focus and regroup and, 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 and take the, take the mental, the mental space. Like that's really important Mm -hmm. in this. And, uh, the horror community is just something that's beautiful. I think, I think I, I think that's why there's horror conventions. That's why we love lining up to, to see Kane Hodder and to see, you know, people that were in these films, even from years and years ago, because, horror has to yeah support itself and celebrate itself right. you know be a lot of times i think a lot of these actors that were in these films were ostracized because right. it was looked down upon to be in these films exactly and so it's it's up to us as creators and fans to, to keep those those actors working and to keep you know celebrating those performances Absolutely. because uh in a weird way it's almost like uh I just think about actors that struggled again, not to go back to little Willie, but no actors that struggled with wanting to maybe have success in other genres, yeah. but they got pigeonholed in horror. And, and, and so because of that, I think it's like our job to, yeah, keep them going. And, and that's why I love one of the reasons why I would like defend Rob Zombie because he had Danielle Harris in his Halloweens. Right. Absolutely. You know? And I think you even find that in the horror community that we're, we do our best to look out for each other and support each other because it, even though it's such a huge genre and a successful genre, a lot of the supporters and fans are outcasts or at least feel that way. Absolutely. So, so we've got to lift each other up. Yeah. I mean, that's how it feels at horror conventions. It really, they are really friendly environments. Absolutely. Um, and I, yeah. They're some I mean, of the nicest I, people ever. Yeah, it's, it's, they it's really incredible are incredible to think about. And yeah. like, I would love to meet like Tony Todd and, and oh, yeah. like, that. like that. That's like my bucket list is to mm-hmm. just speak with him. And mm-hmm. uh, cause we had a Candyman episode, which is one of my favorite episodes of all time. And yeah. I love every aspect of how romantic that movie is and how, uh, kind of plays like just a, a, a fantasy love chase of it's initially Dracula. Like the, like the, right. and it, it's just so, so beautiful and it's sexy and, and it's fun and it's different. And it's something yeah, it really that is. you, you initially get the spawn of if Dracula were to meet bloody Mary. And like, mm-hmm. I thought that is just the coolest fucking concept ever. And the fact that he was black, like, yeah, that was huge for me. Where, especially like growing up, where it's like, well, well, I've never really seen 
too many black people in horror films, and when I do, they always die. Right. And it's just like, well, right. this guy's technically dead, but at the same time, he's very much alive. He's very much present. Yeah. Um, and he's the icon exactly, out of that film. Exactly, and he's yeah. the icon. So I'm very excited for Nia DaCosta's uh, Candyman. I cannot wait for that. But Me too. Uh, but, Andrew, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Where can people find me. you on the internet, my friend? Yeah, so um, I'm Andrew Bowser on Twitter. I'm Andrew Bowser Director on Instagram. And my podcast is The Untold Hour. I think we're just The Untold Hour on Instagram. I think so. And, uh, and then I've got a YouTube channel that's Bowser Vids Totally. And that's where you can find all my weird comedy <laughs> and stuff like that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much once again. But everybody, thank you. this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. And I was joined with Andrew Bowser from The Untold Hour. Thank you once again, my friend. It's been a lot of fun. Our efforts to get our show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out some more ghoulish nights rating us with five stars is very helpful but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it you can further support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife and that's night with a k by pledging on patreon you have access to the show as early as monday if you don't have any bucks to toss don't worry a new episode is released every friday on most podcast services around the world remember everybody don't forget your nightlight